Hey there, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today on the AI and You podcast, where we discuss everything to do with artificial intelligence and what is currently happening in the market today. So with the increase of concerns over the environment and security, IoT and artificial intelligence has seen an increase in many applications in homes and businesses, including monitoring the usage of appliances and smart access locks. In terms of smart security, there are several smart devices on the market, such as smart cameras, smart lighting, smart doorbells, smart door locks, and other items so that the security of businesses and residences are enhanced. This means a convergence between IoT devices, artificial intelligence, and access hardware. Our guest speaker today is Lee Otis. He's labeled as one of the 2020 IFSEC Global Influencers in Security and as an Uber networker by the Washington Post. Lee Otis has over 18 years starting, building, and leading businesses with an exceptional track record for sales growth and marketing effectiveness in the smart access technology industry. He's grown several companies, including Unikey and Bribo. Lee is currently an executive at Latch. He also wrote the book called The Six Phase Changes Shaping Access Control. Welcome, Lee. It's a pleasure to have you on the show today. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Yeah, we're so lucky to have you. Like, Tell us a little bit more about yourself. So I'm in Bethesda, Maryland, uh, wife, two kids, and two dogs. Spent most of my career in sort of, I'll call it the building product side. As you said, a lot on the security and physical security, smart locks, uh, access control. Also did a stint with lighting controls, focused on different verticals. So whether it's multifamily, commercial space, basically everywhere, what the, the community calls prop tech. But found my niche uh, in the security end and spend most of my time there. So yeah, currently at Latch, um, lead a group around strategy and putting together how we go to market, what products we build, how we build them. And uh, it's been a fun, wild ride uh, it, from the moment I met you and to where I'm currently at, even in that short amount of time, there's been a lot going on. So appreciate the opportunity and excited to be here. I think it's super funny that we both went to UCF and we basically had our startings together in Orlando. I have to ask you a really important question, Lee. Okay. Go. What's your favorite ice cream? My favorite ice cream, oddly, is like anything with like cherries in it. Like I love fruit, vanilla ice cream. Like it's, it's a weird one. It's not chocolate and the rest, but yeah, anything with cherries and vanilla ice cream, I'm all in. <laughs> I'm all about chocolate. Like I love a double, mm -hmm. triple fudge chocolate, chocolate squirrel, chocolate sprinkles with like chocolate chips. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least at least you know what you like. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us a little bit more about the smart industry, smart access means. Yeah, happy to. And it's funny, I'll start off by saying it's actually not very smart. And it's actually a misnomer of a name because the marketplace, I think, the expectations of it, we frankly, we just haven't gotten there yet. But the, the nice part about it is I look at it as the aspirational goal of where we want to go. And what I mean by that is if you if I go backwards a little bit to go forward, so it's a in the access control space, there's many different components. Uh, one that most people know is like take locks, for instance. If you look at locks, those have been forever mechanical, way, way back uh, to, you know, you could even joke that, you know, uh, back in the caveman put boulders in front of doors type of a thing, all the way up to the mechanical ones that you see with keys now, which is predominantly what most people use. Those went from being mechanical 
to wanting those to be motorized. So the idea being is that instead of turning the key, maybe it automatically unlocked uh, when I push the button, whatever it might be. But that, that's sort of the next progression for mechanical. Then we went mechanical to connected, which is now this is where the product, you know, maybe it, it talks to an app or I can, dis, I can unlock it through my security system. Those are connected. Still not very smart because it's somewhat more of like a remote control, if you would, more than it is what I believe what people want. When it comes to smart, we're starting to get there, but this is where you start to get sort of you know the locks that understand who you are when you come up, understand situation that really add more value beyond the locking and unlocking. Up until recently, the majority of the time, what was a feature in our industry was actually not having convenience. Like it was, you know, keeping bad people out wasn't like leaving your door open. You put up barriers. Then all of a sudden technology was introduced into it. Now the desire is, is that we let the right people in. So the, you, the, the entire thing has shifted the value proposition of what we're trying to do while also not losing the, the thing. So, so we're getting there. We're starting to see people start to input more what I would call smart technology into it, or at least money flowing into it to be able to have that to start being developed. And it's a pretty exciting time to be in this industry coming, you know, uh, the beginning of the pandemic was really an inflection point of, of our industry. And now we're starting to see what this new, this new world is going to look like. So how complex can the access rules be right now? Depending again on the verticals that you're talking, we have high security, which is a lot of times what people think about. That's what's like at airports and government facilities and whatnot. And then you go all the way down to, you know, consumers' houses and everything in between because the, the product that's on my house here is very different than the other one. So the complex rules of the one at my house is very, very different than, say, getting into a, an army base, right? So as the verticals change and the use case change, the complexity does as well. So it, it goes from being highly complex down to, you know, as easy as a key. And so when you're designing and and building or looking at a system, how does that change the actual architecture of the system when you're implementing it across these different verticals and the the rules of complexity change? Yeah, it's a great question because we're currently like right in the middle of that now because, uh, you know, like you're saying the, the use cases have changed for us. I would also say a couple things uh, on that is that our industry for a long time, uh, which has been around, let's let's just take electronic access control. It was started in 1973. So to give you an idea, the value proposition and the, really the architecture of the systems, yeah, there's been changes and nuances, but overall, in general terms, it hasn't changed very much since 1973. There's been a couple key moments in time, like Lockerbie and 9-11 and now the pandemic, and also I'd say when the iPhone was introduced as sort of key pivotal moments when things have changed. Problem being though is the way that our systems have always been built was it was intended, it was a feature for it to be on the wall since 1973. And I don't have to tell you and probably the audience that listens to this, trying to apply modern day technology to things built in 1973, not very easy for a lot of reasons, whether it's memory, you know, uh, chip types, uh, whatever it might be. A lot of that has changed now to to here. So you're starting to see an influx of newer technology and people to bringing new products or taking the, it, the, the products themselves, it's the entire solution and breaking them up into components. Like maybe I could keep the head end unit to be somewhat dumb, 
but the edge device now is starting to get smarter, right? So I use the old wiring, the old back end, and I put a new front end on it. And, or I leverage my phone now to do a lot of what needs to be done. And it talks to the cloud and then it comes down locally to, to the device. So there's a lot that's going on. It's very complex at this point. And you could look at it two ways. You could look at that as a bad thing or a good thing. I think most people that are excited about it are look at it as a good thing. I'll give you another example if I could. You saw in the pandemic, the need for touchless happen, right? So early on in the pandemic, we didn't know if you could get COVID from touching something. So at initially overnight, our, our, our industry as an access control and security has always had for a long time automated, like ADA compliant, right? So if you come up to a door and it, it senses that somebody's there, it automatically opens. We try to apply though this new use case of touchless, which is very different than ADA compliance type of products. And we just sort of labeled those. We did sort of like a marketing, like whitewashing of it and called it something different. We didn't necessarily apply new technology. That said, there's companies coming out now that are starting because of the pandemic and realize that our industry is trying to apply new tactics to old and saying, we can just start to build new with this in mind. And you're starting to see a completely different product selection being brought to market. How far away are we from walking up to a door and it just opens for us if we're supposed to be there and it stays closed if that isn't a place we're supposed to have access to? We're, we're actually here now with that, right? The ability for the door to automatically open and close, you know, I can do that with a uh, motion sensor and a time clock, but most people, when they're thinking about the Jetsons way of doing that is a more automated and more, um, uh, far more uh, sophisticated way would be things like I walk up to the door and based off of me authenticating who I am by bringing my phone, maybe connected close, maybe it's using computer vision, attribute-based type of access control where the system responds to me showing up versus how most of these systems are where you're given an identity, right? Like you're given a card and your business is saying, this is you. Whereas what people want this to start to be is I show up and I am me and the system knows how to respond. We're, we're not there yet with that. We're, we're a bit off. You're seeing some biometrics and things like that do it. But even in that sense, that's not seamless uh, in a lot of ways. Some of the facial that you see now we're, or understanding gait of how people walk up to the door and that identifier of them. I mean, you're starting to see some of that stuff. It's just not broadly adopted yet. When I think about the Jetson way of uh, having access to a building, I can just walk up to it. Maybe I don't even have my phone, but it, it can tell by my face whether it can open the door for me. And so what are some of the gaps that we're seeing basically in being able to do that right now? The biggest barrier I would say is that existing buildings currently now, the infrastructure that needs to go in there, there's a lot of cost prohibitiveness to it. There's lack of appetite, I would say, to spend on technology like that. Like it's seen as heavily as a nice to have, not a need to have. When your card works fine as a business, do I need to spend the money to be able to go do that, I, I don't. I don't know. There, there's those are probably the biggest limiters. I think as cost reduction goes down, as newer buildings that come up out of the ground that have the technology inside of it, as things like that happen, I think we'll start to see an increase uh, of adoption of technologies. Now, couple that though, like I said, with the privacy and security concerns that some people have, maybe maybe that will end up being the limiter of why we don't see it. 
But take companies like Clear. I mean, you kind of see that happening now to get into airports. It's not totally frictionless, but you can the, quickly the imagination gets there to where you can see it being real. So then how does smart access interact right now with data collection? So each system's a little bit different on how they do it. But I mean, just in a broad view on the when it comes to commercial, it, it, there's typically either a client server that sits local or it's in the cloud, one of the two. And then there's either external data pipes that go out to other systems that do you know a multitude of different things, like whether it's uh, reports and some of the systems do these natively. But so you can have reporting, you could have sequence type events happen like, I don't know, you come in through the front door and you want uh, something they call destination dispatch. So it tells you to go to elevator cab C and it takes you right up the uh, up to uh, uh, floor four, right? But you can't get to floor six. So it's either inside the systems themselves or then they get extended to go outside. Then you have, okay, what do I do with the data as it sits and it rests? Now, depending on the system again, a lot of times you don't actually know who the person is because they're just a bit number, if you would, of like, you know, this is card one, two, three, four, and card one, two, three, four has access between nine and 12. And as long as card one, two, three, four is shown, then they get access. The green light goes go and they, they go in. So um, the, the, the older the system in a traditional commercial building, um, it's pretty stays within in a lot of cases as these systems start to grow and they start to integrate into more and the expectations of what they do go beyond keeping bad people out, I think you'll start to see that data sort of get mixed, uh, you know, both internally and externally. Thank you for that. That's really interesting. I saw some very interesting features. We're expanding into like extra security features that we can gain as a result of using smart access systems. Can you help me understand that a little bit better? Stuff like anti-shock sensors. Somebody is trying to break a doorknob. It calls the police right away. Uh, We call it forced entry uh, in in the security world. So yeah, so you're seeing... Sensors, not only from a force entry standpoint, but then also just notification if there's anomalies, right? So like if you notice that your door is never open between nine and five at your house because you're at your office working and then all of a sudden your door did open. So it, some of the doors will will let you know that it's happened. There's some sensors too in, in understanding. It's one thing to know if your door is unlocked or locked. But a lot of times people want to know, is it locked and unlocked? And is it open or old connected locks would say oh, door's locked, but what if the door's open, right? Who cares if the door's locked at that point? You're starting to see it also understand and do predictions of like, is it a delivery person or is it a dog that came to the door? We've even seen some use cases around understanding weather conditions. A lot of these doors are on the exterior of of buildings and that. So it's another opportunity for data point. Some of the things that interest me that I hear about it is uh, is sort of the, okay, now what side of things is sometimes the if this, then that type of an approach where you take a data and, a, and, and something that's happened at the door and then it triggers events afterwards, whether it's notification. It also can be concierge type services of like letting you know if I'm at a hotel, for instance, and I show up, front front desk know that, that I'm there and they have my favorite coffee. I don't know. You, you, you get a sense of like some of the more convenient side of things that happen there. And then there's the awareness end of it that, I, that is interesting for, for buildings and the automation end of that, which for a long time you would see and still do in a lot of places – 
you'd have people going around to to check to make sure doors are locked. Well, now you can have that automatically be done. You can have uh, also in emergency standpoints, things like lockdown, for instance. Um, I find it interesting now that we're starting to, a lot of times when you looked at lockdown, it just uses data that was on site. Now we're starting to see more data and more information come from the community. In some cases, there's systems that are looking at and understanding somebody uh, posts online in their social media that they're going to go shoot a school. Um, now systems and security systems can start to understand that data as well and respond. So a little bit more what I would call predictive and versus reactive, which historically security systems have been reactive, especially video. Now we're starting to see them be more proactive, which is just changes the way why you would buy some of these systems and how you interact with them. So that's really interesting to me. And I, and I think that leads into a conversation about where the intersection of artificial intelligence, predictive algorithms, data science, you know, machine learning components, where they're helping smart access systems be proactive. Two things. How to utilize uh, security as part of a larger value proposition. So I do think that there are existing systems that focus primarily on the virtual world, if you would, that can be applied to the physical world. Now we're starting to see that convergence happen. So I think some of the, like a lot of what already exists in the marketplace, but maybe being applied to, I don't know, uh, networks could also be applied to buildings. And it just hasn't bridged into that yet. And we can see some of this, the predictability that happens. Like we, I don't know, like I, I, I look at a door in a lot of cases in a building, and this is maybe weirdly because I'm in the in, in the industry, but like I actually look at buildings as living, breathing things. We spend an enormous amount of time inside of them, but we don't we don't treat them in the same way that we we do, let's say, uh, other areas of the market. So, like taking a look at how we can take these structures that we interact with and bring them into the existing, and be able to take some of the the core like feature benefits and value propositions that we see in the virtual world. Here, because I, I do believe that we're getting to the point where security has to be more predictive. We have to take a look at and on top, it can't be all human based. So how does how does the systems help humans be far more responsive, better, safer, reactive? How do we make it uh, so that the systems aren't being utilized after a bad thing happens? But how can we help prevent bad things from happening? Those are two totally different uh, use cases. Our systems have been forever built to uh, to report out when a bad thing happens. We want to now move to how do you predict them and how do you keep bad things from happening? And I just think that's like an area typically you can rally people around and we can probably make a great impact uh, in just that vertical alone. And, and you're starting to see people do it, but I, I still feel like the marketplace could do more. So when we're thinking about preventative problem solving, and let's take your example, schools, what would be some examples? I think there's a, a couple examples. So looking beyond just the border of the school and looking into social media and some online and bridging the virtual, the physical world together, and like what data can we take from that area and, and bring it to help the schools respond more so that if there is an outside person coming into the building, how do we get in front of that better than, than we have historically done? There could even be some predictive maintenance in some cases, something like as, you know, not 
not as exciting, but if you think about it, like if half of a camera system is down or doors are broken, things like that, there's, there's a lot that can go into. So how do we apply some of the predictive maintenance side of things uh, to the system uh, to do that? It's understanding situational awareness of, a, of an instance and how do I get the right data at the right time to the right people? That's an interesting one to me, like to think about notifications and awareness and, and not doing it manually, but how do you do it in an automated fashion and a, a predictive? And uh, when we start thinking about the right people, like how do you bridge into the community and understand like parents and, and other false alarms seem to be one of the things. Like if your kids pull the alarm at the school and, you know, after the fifth time it happens, does the police respond in the same vein and rigor as they did if it was the first time? I don't know. I'm sure there's studies out there that show it. How do we uh, pinpoint where things have happened quicker, better, so that we can respond better? Being able to understand where, but then also understand patterns. I'm sure if we look at enough data sets, if somebody shoots into a classroom, I'm sure there's some predictive analytics that can be done to say, after that, they run to here. I don't know, right? Like I, Again, this is not my area of expertise, but it, it, you can start to think about how that may become a thing that we can we can do with technology to help augment those pieces already exist in the AWS platform because it's initially a data issue. Like you aggregate the data in a database, then you move the data around into the algorithm that says like, hey, this this action here is highly predictive of this thing. And then it sends out the S the SNS notification, or it organizes it so that it's more understandable for the people who are making the design decisions. Same thing about getting the right notifications to the right people. You hold the data, you move it somewhere, and basically have not just data of events, but data of people who want to be notified in certain events or should be notified. And then you apply the algorithm and then the technology to send out the notification already exists. And AWS has like a lot of different, uh, you know, products for that. It's just a matter of getting the right configuration together. Yeah, no, and I know systems are using, whether it's them, Azure, whoever, but yeah, there's, they're being they're starting to be applied now it's it's a little bit we're in the early innings in a lot of cases and there's there are some great companies that are putting solutions like that together leveraging tools that do exist so yeah and that's why a lot of this is already there it's just the application of it So segue into a little bit more of a discussion on the data. We, we do have data and we, we are collecting video feeds sometimes when things that happen at school, you know, activities and things. But where are the gaps right now of data that we need to collect that isn't that we don't see in mass? Like maybe IoT doors, for example, if something happens in another classroom, it might shut the door or lock all the doors for the rest of the classrooms. How prevalent have we seen that that type of data collection and where do we need to go in the industry so that we can progress forward? Yeah, I, whether it's video and actually, I, I mean, from the data side, we can even apply it to any of these systems. I guess what I would say is, is that a lot of this exists now um, and you have companies that can do, you know, prediction around uh, if someone's bringing a gun into buildings or that they, they can look at the way, you know, there's, I've, I've saw even companies using LIDAR in order to be able to, 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 you know, to understand from far distances of doing it. So like a lot of this exists currently now. There's the problem is that in my opinion 
existing systems being able to support it and budgets being open to be able to apply it. That's the biggest barrier that you have. Most of the systems that are currently built and, and historically weren't built with these types of use cases in mind. They were always about keeping bad people out and very binary, very analogish. They're not connected to the outside world. Like that was all of these things were considered features. And now they're bugs, frankly, because the, the, the technology exists. You know, there's going to continue to be advancements in the marketplace. But right now, I don't think it's a technological problem. I think it's a uh, historical and budget problem more than anything else. What about for the data that we have? Are we also thinking about does the data itself need some type of different security? Because there's information that we need that's regularly available. And then there's going to be information that we need that may not necessarily be available. So as as we're working towards smart access systems, like how how is the industry addressing the issue of also data security in and of itself when interacting with the systems? So I'll, I'll start by saying by no means an expert in this area. So I'll keep it high level of what I see happening in the marketplace. I think, A, just from a philosophical standpoint, people are spending a far more uh, time on it and making it part of a core part of how the system works, where maybe historically they didn't or they didn't have to because it wasn't, you know, like, you know, 30 years ago wasn't a top of mind or how the system wasn't used. But now you have experts working in these areas. You also have rules and regulations coming down. You have associations applying best practices, more people educated in this field working there, more partners and consultants in that that come in to help you go do that. There's also, I would say, just an overall public fear from these companies, right? Of Nobody wants to be the next one that's on the the, you know, the the topic of of the news about a data breach and and around that area. so there's pressure there that I wouldn't say was necessarily applied before to the companies that have to respond. It's also in a lot of cases these types of things, data integrity and and and, and applications of it and, and philosophies and approaches and SOPs are at the board level in a lot of these places and coming down to the organization. So that's like a, a long way of me saying that a lot of a lot of this is being normalized into the way that the products work. And you know, the the nice thing is I believe in our world is you know, we're we're centered around safety and security. And now typically it's about keeping people safe physically, but you're seeing an evolution of that term of safety and security changing to also include my data, my wellness. Like now we're now that's a, a redefinition of how we work. So I'm I'm bullish on the fact that this stuff gets institutionalized into our industry, and we're starting to see that happen now, which is forcing people to uh, differentiate the systems that aren't. But then also, I would say from a consumer standpoint and a, and a buyer, the buyers are starting to ask the questions because they're even more knowledgeable about it which are then forcing companies to have to meet basic level specifications, or they are positioning their companies in a manner to, you know, of raising the bar compared to, to other places. The other part that I would say, though, is the reality is, is that we have a much uh, wider surface of attack than we historically ever had. It's forcing us to have to spend time, money, resources, and brainpower to make sure that you know, it doesn't become an issue. 
So it's exciting times, in my opinion, for this space, cybersecurity, data um, security, data practices. This just cued something really interesting for me. What type of customer ask have you encountered that surprised you and how did you solve that? That's a good question. I would say from a data standpoint, you know, I've seen things like GDPR and I work for a company called Brevo that you mentioned, and we were the first cloud-based access control system. And so going from being the first to being one of many and being in the space for a long time, like we had a lot of requests that came through early on of things that, you know, uh, when we would go sell to some large companies, our industry never had to worry about like pen testing before and understanding how, what, you know, what do you do with data at rest? Questions like that. We just didn't have those historically. And then all of a sudden, because we were starting to work with a bunch of large technology companies or the fact that we were cloud-based and, you know, NIST has ways of doing things and whatnot, there was an expectation because the person sitting across the table was an expert in this field and we had to respond to that. Like that's, that is, that's like fundamentally changed uh, the way that we did, but it also be like marketing points too of, all right, we're going to go write specifications or we'll, you know, we're going to arm end users and dealers and people to be able to ask the questions when you look at system A versus system B, how do I differentiate that and change it? Now, that's like a data side in the security end. When it came to physical side, you saw some interesting things. Like there was a large data breach, I believe, uh, um, a big uh, retailer. You saw the world sort of converge together. You had uh, a data breach so virtual, happened because an HVAC contractor got access uh, to a space, right? So then you had virtual meet physical. And those two worlds, again, have historically been separated. Now, all of a sudden, they were commingled together. You started to see the IT department change, right, from caring not caring about physical security in some cases to now. So that's why we start to see the convergence of what people have. I mean, fundamental sort of physical security ones that we hear, you know, you, you start to see, unfortunately, when tragic happens, you start to see people ask a lot of questions. Like in New York City recently, there was an unfortunate instance where a, a young lady was was murdered based off of somebody tailgating behind her. And tailgating is when somebody follows a person that had access and the door didn't close quick enough so they follow he had an instance like that happen. So like these are all solvable problems, but it, they don't necessarily get requested as heavily unless something tragically happens. A lot of us have been raised to hold the door open for somebody if they're following you to go into a building. Very normal thing. It's a, it's a neighborly thing to do, but that's actually a security problem, especially in higher security, but even not even just high security, just secure facilities and spaces when in fact you're, you're helping drive uh, some more safety for people where, you know, a bad instance like that can happen. Um, that's, that's the unfortunate part of our industry is like, you know, because of 9-11, you see technology increase and in, in things increase in our industry. We are, we're heavily preventative, but we also are highly reactive. Very interesting for the future, what it would mean to create a data set basically that can be used and referenced in artificial intelligence systems that are integrated with smart access systems that say like, hey, if for this specific entry point, there should only be one person coming in at a time or two or whatever yep. the limit is, 
this thing happening, like tailgating is an anomaly, we need to have someone pay attention to this. It's probably been mainly, you know, human power, right? Somebody mm-hmm. sitting at the front door paying attention. Then you had cameras that would reactively do it or alarms set up. You'd have something there that would count how many people went through. And if you had one card swipe and two people went through, the alarm would go off, right? Like, so some of these things didn't existed. Now, though, you're starting to see the convergence of this and where camera systems would do it. You saw technology that was before the pandemic that was looking at density and understanding computer vision of where people are at within the facility. And those things are being applied to tailgating as well. Like, why couldn't they count people count going in? And it doesn't have to be necessarily them tracking the people. You can just look at, you know, it can tell that there's bodies of water walking from one area to the next. And if you had two people walk through. So it all exists currently now. It's the application and the cost to the return, figuring out how to reduce costs. You've got uh, the need for technology is is getting cheaper in some areas, right? Like in, in computing power getting greater, convergence of things like take before up until recently and in, in, in moments of time, this idea that I would have a camera at my front door as a doorbell, I mean, I think doorbells have been around for how long? Cameras have been around for how long? The idea of taking a camera, putting into my doorbell and it showing up in my phone, it took the iPhone and other phones to show up to be able to go do that. So like sometimes it takes a triangulation of many things to bring us to the point where you see far greater adoption. I would also say the expectations of how these systems change too. Most of our systems, again, in the industry were, are heavy for majority of the use cases. We've always historically been one sort of block, broad solution set. The same thing that was taking care of your airports was taking care of the deli in, in your local market. And that's been a problem. Software has now started to verticalize these solutions to drive an even deeper value set of things. Like, I don't know, I may not need tailgating at the gym because that's not the use case. But if I buy this system that's made for the airports, it probably came with it. And I didn't have, so like there's different applications uh, and, and verticalization happening, pricing going, technology convergence, all of that stuff brings it to where you start to see adoption increase. That's a lot to think about. Yeah. And it's it's a lot to take in. <laughs> Where do you see a convergence between smart access systems, artificial intelligence and where we're headed with decentralized technology where there will be more readily available data? Yeah, I mean it's happening now. I think it will only continue to get greater. And actually, I think it'll be to the point where it's ubiquitous, right? We're like talking about these technologies and we need to start talking about the applications of them and the value that they create, especially as we start to talk to consumers and people that want to buy it. It's the applications of it. So I think once we start doing it, and I actually think part of the problem that our industry, and I'll say even on the AI side, there's a storytelling problem. Smart locks, for instance. It's like no one wants a smart lock. They want what the smart lock does. And, and, and I believe when it starts to fade away and we start talking about the value stories of what it does for people, that's when we'll start to see adoption uh, increase. But then also, I do think we'll start to see adoption of the technologies even greater because we're starting to add value. I'm really excited when decentralized technology gets integrated in with a lot of our current technology because it'll mean more data to feed 
the algorithms that are, are trying to make these decisions to help us be safer, more effective, more autonomous, be preventative, because it's definitely the food that feeds the decision making. Agree. And I, the way I look at it and I like to talk about it is historically, a lot of these systems, because they, they you know, think about it this way. The, the best day of that product historically was the day it got installed and then it degraded over time, right? Because there wasn't the continuous learning and feeding and growing that a lot of these systems had. It was built, the software was put into it if it had it, and that was it. Maybe you had some additional patches and software, you know, updates and whatnot down the road. But realistically, a lot of times the systems were only as good as the day it was installed. Now though, by implementing AI and data and, and sort of the new way that the technology be done, the, the worst day is the day it's installed. It gets even better over time. Some people call it like the Benjamin Button approach to these technology, right? That's, that's exciting to me to think about the applications of these systems and technology into where the old world of security meets the new world of technology and they come together, it's going to be pretty interesting what we can do and what the systems are, are capable of. And, and I'm, me personally, yeah, I'm just like you, I'm excited to see it happen. How do you take things that we understand are happening around us and then use them to make our lives easier, safer, more autonomous, take time away from the things we don't want to have to think about so that we can focus on the things that we do want to think about? And AI algorithms, is a, it's a great tool for that. What about self-evolving algorithms? Where do you yeah, see the no. next major in innovation? I think there's a next great innovation around the use cases of sort of like what it does for you beyond keeping bad people out. Like how does the, how do these products add value to, I don't know, like I'll give you a good instance. Like our industry was never thinking about delivery being uh, an aspect of a value proposition for our industry. And then all of a sudden when people started ordering things online and not being home and this whole idea of buying groceries at, online and be, them being delivered. Now this idea of letting the right person into your house so the, the stuff that's supposed to go in the freezer can get into the freezer, like you see Walmart and Amazon do with people like Chamberlain and some other people now where they're getting the milk into the fridge. That's interesting because that starts to think there's value created beyond keeping that person out of your house that you were like, that's the, the, the sole purpose of it before was to just do that. Now, it's, it's letting people in and it's driving value to me, not only me, but then also to, you know, UPS and FedEx and Amazon and the rest of them, because historically that little yellow sticky that they put on your window, like not only is it a bad user experience, but it's also expensive for UPS and, the, and anybody else to, to have to re-deliver. So now there's immense value. That's just one example of like how a lock on the door, if done right with technology can enhance my living. I then get into the idea of every time I go to a building that I've been to a hundred times, it's like the first time I've ever been there because it doesn't know who I am. I don't get to show up as my authentic self to it. It doesn't know how to respond to me. And so there's not like a curated experience for myself. You see people like the Ritz, the Four Seasons, a lot in hospitality try to figure that out. Nordstrom's has been famous for that, right? Where they physically know it's you because there's a person that's like, ah, that's Tom. And Tom is a resident here. Hi, Tom. Nice to meet you. How's your mom doing? Your dog was, you know, walked today at two o'clock. Right? It was a physical person. 
where you can start to see the systems themselves curate experiences. Like I live in a multifamily building. I walk into it. There's a sign there that says, hi, welcome home. The elevator opens up. It takes me to the fourth floor. The door locks because it knows I'm on my way. It could tell it's me. It's authenticated. I have my hands full. I go in. It closes automatically. It locks. Um, it sends a notification to my wife that my that maybe that was my kid that just got home. So I know they're home safe and locked now. Like you could go on and on and on. I do believe once these systems start to understand who the people are and they can start to do the and what part of that, we start to see a much richer experience for how we flow from places of my house to my office. The amount of time we spend inside of places and if we think of how the advancements in technology for that, we have not seen enough. And I'm just excited to think what they can do. I, that's where I get excited about like smart doors, visitor systems, like the interaction between the phones and that. So there's a whole lot. We're coming on to the end of the hour. I want to show respect for your time because I'm so grateful you're here today. I appreciate um, that. If you could solve any problem in the world, and it doesn't have to be smart access or AI, it can just be any problem, what would it be? One problem to fix? I mean, I'm selfish on that end. How do we deliver safety? So from somebody who went to Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, my kids being at a school where we've had a couple bomb threats and the rest of it, I and maybe it's the age of what my kids are at and I look at it, is, is around school safety. And would love to see the application there get adopted ubiquitously to deliver more safety to those areas so that kids could go and they learn and they can be in a a sense of safety and freedom in those areas helps, I believe, psychologically kids just be better kids. Uh, And I think it's a thing that the entire world can rally around. Like who doesn't want schools to be safer? I don't know. Um, I, I just would love to see the application of AI. And I think AI and machine learning and the rest of it all play a massive role in delivering a far more advanced sense of safety than we currently have now. That would be a very ideal world where our kids wouldn't have to think about safety and neither of us as a parent when we're sending them off to be educated. So thank yep. you so much for that. That was very heartfelt. <laughs> I appreciate that. I have feelings. I have feelings. Yes. Alrighty. Well, thank you so much, Lee, today for joining us on the AI and You podcast. I learned so much from getting the opportunity to chat with you today about the smart access industry. Thank you. No, I appreciate the opportunity. I'm grateful for it and thrilled that you're doing this, getting the voice out. We need more of this. So thank you for the opportunity to participate and go Knights.